Hello and welcome to PW Kids Cast, the children's book podcast from Publishers Weekly. In each episode, we speak with authors and illustrators creating books for children and teens. I'm John Sellers, the children's reviews editor at Publishers Weekly. Today, I'm speaking with writers Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner, co-authors of the YA novel These Broken Stars. The book will be published in December by Hyperion, which is sponsoring this podcast. In the novel, which opens on the luxury space liner called the Icarus, a young war hero named Tarver Marinson unexpectedly finds himself in contact with Lilac LaRue, the richest girl in the galaxy. When disaster strikes on board, the two teenagers from very different backgrounds are forced to survive on an alien world that turns out to have quite a few secrets. These Broken Stars is the first book for Australian writer Amy Kaufman, who is speaking with us today from Melbourne. Uh, Amy, thanks for being here and for getting up bright and early to speak with me. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, and we also have Megan Spooner, who is the author of Skylark and its sequel, Shadowlark. Uh, the first book was published in 2012 and is the first book in a trilogy. Uh, Megan, thanks for being here as well. Yeah, thanks. It's fun to be here. So, Megan, I'll, I'll start with you. I understand uh, you're also in Australia at the moment, although you live in the States. Um, I assume you're there for the local release of These Broken Stars? Yes. Uh, I came here to help celebrate the launch of uh, These Broken Stars in Australia. Excellent. How's the, uh, how's the trip been so far? Oh, I love it. I actually lived here in Australia for a couple of years, and actually while I was writing Skylark. So it's pretty much a second home for me. Great. Uh, so, Amy, does this mean uh, that you might uh, get the chance to travel to the States uh, sometime after the book is published here? Yeah, look, I am over in the States most years, and we're certainly hoping that I'll be over to do some promotional work early next year, which will be a ball. But for now, it's great having Meg here, because this is sort of where it all began and where we wrote the, the start of the book together. So, we've put her back in her old bedroom, and it's a bit like old times. <laughs> Very good. And, uh, uh, Amy, is the is the book out yet? Have you guys uh, started doing some local events, or is that uh, still to come? Uh, yeah, the, as we speak, the book came out three days ago, and it's been a lot of fun seeing it on bookshelves around Melbourne. That's that's a first for me because it's my first novel, and we're spending next week doing some events with our local publisher, and uh, then next Friday night our launch party, which is becoming quite the production. We have a lot of people coming along. Very good. Um, you know, so often I'll start off by asking where the, uh, the idea for a book came from, but I think I get the sense that we need to go back even a little bit further to find out the story about uh, the two of you and how you met. Um, your longtime friends, is that right, Megan? Yeah, uh, we actually met online long before we ever met in person uh, and, and met doing uh, online writing together. So our friendship actually began with collaborative writing, but just to entertain ourselves, there was no end goal in mind. And uh, uh, Amy, has it been a while since uh, the last, uh, the two of you last saw each other in person since you do live on uh, different sides of the world, sort of? No, we were actually incredibly lucky. Hyperion took us to Book Expo America this year, which meant that we, we got to hang out in, in May. And that was a really special moment, both standing outside the Javits Center, looking at each other, sort of going, well, you know, we're here for our book that, that we made together. So that was pretty cool. Hmm. And uh, Amy, at what point uh, did you uh, decide, I guess at first, that you, the two of you wanted to try to write a book together? I know the trilogy itself, I think, sold back in maybe 2011. Uh, yeah, it sold towards the end of 2011. And to be honest, the point at which we decided we wanted to write a book together was actually after the point at which we started writing this story together in particular. Uh, These Broken Stars started out as a story that we were just writing for each other to, to entertain each other and we, we had these characters and we would just get them into situations and, and do things that we thought the other one would like. And it was only a little way down the track that we sort of looked at each other and went, 
this this could actually perhaps be a story. And I think all that time splashing around early in the characters, just playing with them and playing with this world we'd made, meant that by the time we came to write the book, they were really three-dimensional for us. We'd had time to really get to know them in a way I think otherwise you sometimes don't. Now, as far as this book itself, uh, the narration in the book alternates between the characters of Lilac and Tarver. Um, did you each basically pick a character and sort of divide up the writing that way, or was something? Or did you go about it a different way, uh, Megan? Yeah, actually, it's it 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 worked out really well. Uh, Amy wrote from the point of view of Tarver, and I wrote the point of view of Lilac. So it meant that the division of labor was really clear, uh, but. The interesting thing was because we'd spent so much time playing with these characters, seeing how they worked together, we would actually use dialogue from these half-written scenes that we'd played together. So sometimes I'll be writing Lilac's chapter, but using dialogue from Tarver that Amy had written. Uh, And I think that it served to make the voices very consistent, even though it was written by two different authors. Hmm. From the beginning, uh, the book has been referred to by some, at least I think within the publishing industry, uh, as her shorthand of Titanic in space. Was an idea along those lines there from the start for you two? Uh, did you always want to do something with a, a science fiction flavor to it, uh, Amy? Uh, yes and no, I would say. We definitely wanted to write something science fiction flavored because we're both giant nerds and, and we love stories set in space. Uh, the Titanic at Space Angle was actually something our agents pointed out to us when the book was ready to go out on submission. We hadn't spotted it, believe it or not. Uh, I think for us it was, you know, we've always enjoyed sort of, you know, rich girl, poor boy stories and watching those worlds collide. But, but yeah, originally it, it came about when I'm really into shipwreck and survivalism stories and Meg really wanted to do something set in space and we ended up with our shipwreck story in space. So, Megan, uh, speaking of the Titanic thing, since you uh, wrote, I believe you said, the, the, the lilac chapters, uh, at one mm-hmm. point she thinks, who names a ship the Icarus? Um, was was a name with that much daring and history uh, sort of your version of an unsinkable uh, in this story? You know, in hindsight, this is why nobody believes us when we tell them that we actually didn't have the Titanic in mind when we wrote this book, because it, it really is the same idea uh, the the man who built the ship is Lilac's father, and he's the richest man in the galaxy. And he is very arrogant and uh, very sure of himself. And the name, the Icarus, for his newest, fanciest flagship is, you know, kind of thumbing his nose at fate. Uh, and it's this hubris uh, that that sort of offers this way into his character, even though we don't see him on screen. He's always this presence. Uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, because you get this insight into his character and, and we really enjoyed that. So the people who get that reference to Icarus, the mythological creature or man who fell from the sky, um, you know, that's a little inside joke for them. Mm. Maybe a little, uh, foreboding as well. (laughs) Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so Amy, uh, to switch gears a little bit, I was curious, um, when, when you guys started writing this project, was, was YA always something that was on your mind? Obviously, Megan you know, was already, I guess, writing you know, Skylark and things like that. But did you know, I mean, how did you guess, I guess, how did you come into to writing and specifically um, writing something that is uh, you know, for teens? YA is, is absolutely our natural home. We both read YA like it's going out of fashion. I'm, I'm speaking to you from my study, which has bookshelves from floor to ceiling, and they're pretty much covered in YA. I occasionally venture into middle grade, but I think we're, we're both huge YA authors, sorry, YA readers. 
and we particularly enjoy writing for teens, I think, because, I mean, Meg says it better than I do, so I might, I might hand over to her, but we love the questions that you get to ask when you write for teens. But, Meg, you, you, you answer this one better than me usually. Well, I think that the thing that is so appealing about YA is that the teenage experience is universal. Everyone, no matter your age now, everyone has gone through that period of time when you're asking these questions, you know, who am I? Where is my place in this world? How can I affect the world around me? You know, am I important? Am I insignificant? And I think that sort of coming into your own existentially speaking is something everyone can relate to. And when you set it in fantasy and science fiction and other sort of specific genres, you can use the tropes in those genres to emphasize the issues that the teens are going through. And I think, I mean, I look at the readers for Skylark and for these broken stars, and I would say at least half of them are not teenagers. They're adults who, uh, who love this genre, you know, years after they're no longer in the target audience. Well, I feel like that's a, a, certainly an ongoing, uh, I don't want to say question in, in, in the young adult world, but it's like, are these books for teens or are these books about the teenage experience where the, uh, the audience is a lot broader than that? Amy, on, on your website, you, you offer the advice that when co-authoring a book, uh, if you don't really, really click, it'll end badly. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that maybe this wasn't the case with the two of you, uh, but were there any bumps along the way or sticking points or things you had to sort of hash out and figure out um, as this first book came together or or maybe as the world itself that you're building uh, came together? I think because we've been writing together for fun for so very many years, we've kind of got it down now. We, when we're designing something, we know what we want to do, and we often sort of have an idea of where the other one might want to go. We, we really didn't have any major disagreements throughout the entire, the entire writing or editing process and the approach we take is that we we each take one of the key characters and we each sort of if you like have right of veto on that character that if we say that's not the way that would work for him or or she wouldn't she wouldn't say that then that's the way it is but our approach is that if one of us wants something one way and the other wants something the other way we tend to look for the third option that builds on the strengths of both of those and looks and builds on the strengths of what each of us was trying to achieve so I think because, you know, if you can be flatmates together and if you can negotiate the washing of the dishes and, you know, who should have let the dog out, then you can write together. So. <laughs> Very good. And where do things stand with uh, the rest of the trilogy? Uh, Megan, is it right that the, the next book is scheduled to come out uh, late next year? Yes, uh, we don't actually have uh, an official release date yet, uh, but the book is finished. It's in its last uh, rounds of edits with our editor at Hyperion. Uh, and it's, it's, it was so much fun to write, um, because this, this one we built from the ground up knowing that it was going to be a novel as opposed to the first one, which we were just sort of playing around with these characters. So we, we could really get into the, the story and into the tension right away. And, uh, that was really fun. Um, and the sequels are actually not, they're not direct sequels. It's not a traditional trilogy. They're actually companion novels. So each of the three books follows a different couple, uh, different main characters, but it's all set in the same universe and it's all dealing with the same sort of background conspiracy that's going on behind the scenes. So it's possible that you might see cameos from other books, which was also really fun. Hmm. Um, Amy, so uh, based on what Megan said here, does that mean that you guys 
um, you know, as you said, the second book is already, you know, well underway. Do you, do you feel like you have a really good handle, I guess, on the, the scope of the trilogy and sort of the things that you're hoping to address and where you maybe want things to end up and what, what sort of things will be ultimately revealed, even if you're doing it through different, uh, different characters in each book? Yeah, we do. We know where we're going, but we'll never tell. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the editorial process for book one was that that our editor kept asking us these questions about the world. And in the end, we, we sat down and wrote what we called the Starbound Encyclopedia, Starbound being the series name. And this thing is like dozens of pages long and it covers every aspect of the galaxy. We've got the government system in there that doesn't even appear in book one. We've got class stuff. We've got politics. We've got social stuff. And it means that we've got a really clearly laid out world and it means that we we don't contradict ourselves as we go through. But what it also means is that since we do know where we're heading at the end of, of book three and we sort of know what the ultimate outcome is going to be, although we've, we're probably going to discover some surprises along the way as we write it, I think, we've got this this very detailed world. So the world where book three is set is already in that encyclopedia um, and, and has been for a couple of years. So, And one of the things that we really love about writing together as co-authors is that while we have this idea of where we're going, every so often one or the other of us will be like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this? And sometimes it'll take us in a direction that, that we didn't previously see coming, but it ends up being so much more interesting and some, having so much more depth than if it was just one of us writing alone. You know, the, the random ideas that come to us over the course of writing that sometimes get folded in are really uh, fun to experience. And Megan, as, as speaking of, uh, you know, this world that you guys have put together in terms of the um, your, this sort of encyclopedia of the, the government systems and all that sort of stuff, uh, since Amy mentioned earlier that um, you... you you seem to be the one who's sort of leaning toward wanting to have a series set in space. I was curious, um, I guess, uh, maybe science fiction things that you've enjoyed over the years or certain things that you're a fan of, and also um, how important the science part of the science fiction is f- for you when it came to this world and this this story. Well, as Amy said, we're both giant nerds, um, and we've both loved science fiction since we were tiny. I mean, some of my earliest memories are watching uh, Star Trek Next Generation with my dad when I was a kid. Um, and those stories stuck with me so, so completely as I grew up. And in terms of books, I love Ender's Game, um, TV. We love Firefly and the movie Serenity. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Contact by Carl Sagan. Uh, and the movie of Contact as well was phenomenally good. Um, and, and we take inspiration from all of these things. And what we love is when other fans can actually look at what we've done and see the inspiration. They're like, I can tell that these girls are a fan of Doctor Who, or I can tell that there's a brown coat, a Firefly fan among these authors. And, and we love that. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as the science is concerned, we we think the science is very important. Um, part of what makes good science fiction good is that you aren't sitting there rolling your eyes and saying, oh, well, that's not actually possible. Uh, we 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 work really hard to make sure that all of our tropes, all of our sort of set pieces are possible, maybe, if not exactly currently possible. Um, we actually have a, a friend who is an astrophysicist at NASA. And so we always send him our manuscripts and he completely takes us to school. He's like, if you did this, they would die instantly. 
And we're like, oh, well, <laughs> maybe we need to rewrite that part so that they don't end up splatted on this planet before the book even begins. <laughs> uh, so we're very careful with our research and we're very, very careful to make sure that it works because we don't want to, while we, while we love to appeal to these readers who have never been into science fiction before, we also don't want to alienate the readers who have loved science fiction since they were little like us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy, what about you? Where do your uh, your fandoms lie, either with uh, books from when you were a child or more recent movies and films and things like that that might have uh, been influences or factors for you? Uh, pretty close to Meg's. I'm, I'm a huge Firefly fan as well. I'm also a big Battlestar Galactica fan. Uh, we, we could talk about that stuff for hours, and we do. You know, I uh, grew up reading Anne McCaffrey, and I think that that really kindled for me this fascination with stuff that happens on other planets. And I grew up, I have no idea where this came from, but I've got this big shelf full of like golden age science fiction that neither of my parents read that I seem to have picked up at, at shops for, you know, 10 cents a book. And I, I raced through all of it so many times and stuff like that. I'm a Kim Stanley Robinson fan as well. I loved the Mars books. But I think my very first encounter with science fiction was Jules Verne when I got 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea for Christmas when I was 11 years old, and they didn't see me till the 27th of December. Hmm. And I still remember lifting my head afterwards and just knowing that my world was no longer the same as it had been, and I had read a book that was different to my fantasy because this one could actually happen on my world to me. And I think, yeah, for me... Jules Verne and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was the start of the science fiction love affair. And I think as we've been getting early reviews for these broken stars, one of the most gratifying things has been seeing how many people say, I don't usually read science fiction, but, and, you know, I don't, I don't usually like space stories, but, and then they go on to say how much they've enjoyed the book. So, you know, luring people in is to, to what we love is pretty satisfying. Excellent. And, um, you know, obviously you've got a lot to keep yourselves busy with uh, the book just launching this past week and events uh, planned through next. Um, Megan, are you, are you also you know, busy then working on uh, the third book of this series, maybe the third book in your um, Skylark uh, trilogy and things like that at the moment? Yeah, I actually just finished uh, the final touches on the, the first complete draft of the third Skylark book right before I came here. Um, so the, the gear shift has been very abrupt. You know, I had to go from the one series to the other. Uh, but but while I'm here, one of the things that we're going to take advantage of is the fact that we can brainstorm together in person, because that's what we did with the first book. We would go. We actually would go to a hot springs here in Melbourne or near Melbourne, and sit and discuss the book. And uh, you know, it's funny because we'd be talking about, you know, oh, we're going to kill 50,000 people in this spaceship crash. And all the people in the hot springs would be staring at us, um, wondering what kind of psychopaths they were sitting next to. Um, <laughs> and we're kind of hoping to get a chance in between all of the promotion for book one uh, to to be able to brainstorm in person and and work on the third book. I mean, we already know exactly what it's about, but it's all those little details that really make it come to life. And that that's what we're hoping to work on while I'm here. Hmm. Uh, and Amy, what about you? Uh, do you see yourself doing any solo projects or any other books in addition to the work you'll be doing on uh, book three in this series? 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I have a new trilogy that will be starting in 2015 with another Melbourne author called Jay Kristoff. He's the author of uh, Storm Dancer and Kinslayer, and that's a, a young adult trilogy as well. It's sort of pitched as Battlestar Galactica meets 10 Things I Hate About You, and it's in a found footage format. So that's going to be taking up plenty of time as well. So I'll be I'll be juggling writing that, and Meg and I are just so excited to get into book three. There's... The character I'll be writing for book three is one I've been looking forward to writing now since we sold the trilogy in 2011. So he's really ready to go in my mind. He's cooked. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, um, congratulations again to the both of you. And uh, I hope you enjoy the, the release of the book on uh, multiple continents. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. Sure. Once again, I've been speaking with Amy Kaufman and Megan Spooner, whose new novel is These Broken Stars, published by Hyperion. Thank you for listening to PW KidsCast. 